Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the Paleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Listeners, we're back. And this week, I made Sarah do homework. (laughs) And I I did do homework because I'm not traveling anymore. I opened the can of worms and then I stirred the pot. (laughs) Remember yesterday when you were like, look at all these different topics we could choose from. (laughs) You, You know, let me just say... We kid about this stuff, and I know that it's a lot of work, but this is, like, why we do this, because it's the forum to be able to have these conversations and to discuss complex topics and make them relatable and easy to understand in a digestible format. So, all kidding aside, I sincerely appreciate you looking into this paper that was brought to my attention last month. And it was kind of like a whoa moment for me. Like it was such an obvious of something that I've been so passionate about for so long um, that I actually did my own post on the regulation side of it, which is something that I have personal knowledge and experience on because that's what I do for a living. Um, And uh, for those of you who don't know, I am executive in charge of compliance with federal regulations. So when it comes to reading things like um, how the FDA implements or does not implement safety standards, it's like tax code. It's um, it's a language I am uniquely <laughs> capable of understanding. And so I did this, you know, um, regulation side of the post. And then I got a lot of comments and questions from people on the science side of it. And they were like, oh, it would be great if you and Sarah did a podcast on this. But as I mentioned previously, Sarah was on a book tour. (laughs) So it was not her priority. And we waited until she's back. Um, And so now I'm like, you know, tapping my fingers together. (laughs) And I'm like, let's do it. So the topic today is actually this um, paper that you already mentioned uh, that is called State of the Evidence 2017, an update on the connection between breast cancer and the environment. And um, it was not a short paper, Stacey. You know, you like to read. You told me that once before. I, I do like to read science. And there was a whole lot of it in this paper. But it was actually really interesting to me. Like, I actually am hoping, uh, you know, I know we're going to start with talking about the science between a lot of these compounds that even within the paleo community, we can be exposed to on a daily basis and their link to breast cancer. And and also, you know, we'll get a little bit beyond just um, the breast cancer science that was presented in this paper. But I'm also hoping that we'll sort of end up talking a little bit about the regulation side, because one of the things that really struck me as I was reading through this paper is these compounds that are found in 
everything that are ubiquitous in our environment that you can measure how much of those compounds are in people's uh, blood or urine. And it's like 90% of us or 100% of us, like they're just compounds that are everywhere. They're contaminating lakes because we pee so much of it out and it goes into the sewers. Like crazy amounts of this is getting absorbed into our bodies. And you look at the science and it's so unequivocally linked to health problems. And then you go, well, why isn't there a regulation for this chemical or that chemical? So I'm kind of hoping we'll, we'll, we'll migrate towards that discussion because I think that one of the things that really jumped out at me is, um, you know, if you're have, um, you know, if you're making dietary choices and lifestyle choices to protect your health, there's this chronic exposure of environmental toxins that are, uh, increasing risk of uh, various conditions, but cancer is one of the most sensitive ways that we can detect whether or not these chemicals are problematic. And they're everywhere. And so, if, you know, it's it's one thing to change all the food on our plates and we can change our food storage and we can change where we buy our food. And we can make sure our animals aren't injected with hormones and that our, you know, vegetables aren't sprayed with pesticides. But then, you know, we drink water out of a plastic bottle, right? And it's just this this little bit of a, holy smokes, there's a lot to think about. And I, I do kind of want to, because I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into the weeds here very, very shortly, but I do kind of want to emphasize for listeners, as it gets overwhelming, because I think it will, um, to, to take that step back and remember that, you know, we've talked about on this show before, the tremendous protective effects of consuming a large number of vegetables. It's why both of us are, um, you know, huge vegetable consumers, uh, hashtag more vegetables than a vegetarian and hashtag three quarters veggies are t- two of our favorite hashtags. Um, that high omega-3 intake is incredibly protective against things like cardiovascular disease, but also some forms of cancer. Nutrient sufficiency in general is protective against uh, cancer. Vitamin D status is really important. We've talked on the show before about getting tested for your vitamin D levels and supplementing. It's okay to supplement. Most of us don't spend enough time outside uh, to make enough vitamin D. A lot of us are not good vitamin D converters and it's really hard to get enough vitamin D from food. So to keep in mind that those things, getting enough sleep um, is really, really important for reducing risk of um, chronic disease. And in terms of cancer, where it comes into play in terms of our conversation today is how much sleep you get at the time of breast cancer diagnosis is predictive for survival. So the more sleep that you get when you're diagnosed. So better, you know, how well you regularly get enough sleep is basically what that's measuring um, at the time of diagnosis improves survival. So the better your sleep is, the better you're able to get through treatment. Um, Things like being active, things like reducing stress, these are all things that are going to reduce chronic disease risk, help regulate the immune system and therefore reduce cancer risk. So I want to kind of take this like, this is a little bit next level to be talking about personal care products and cosmetics. And uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about, you know, plastics and things like Teflon, (laughs) you know, 
as we get into this topic. And I think it's it's really important to remember that you have get a tremendous amount of protection from dietary choices and lifestyle choices. This is the next step once those things are dialed in. But don't let yourself get overwhelmed with, you know, oh, no, I have to change everything all at once. You know, Stacy and I have been on these journeys for uh, it's been seven years for you, right, Stacy? Coming up on eight. Seven, yeah, I was going to say seven uh, and a half. Um, seven and a half. Yeah. And I'm um, over six years in. And, um, you know, this is something that, you know, once the, the food part's dialed in and the lifestyle part's dialed in, this is like the natural next step. But I just kind of want to emphasize for people, if you're feeling a little overwhelmed by this conversation, to just remember to take that step back and think about the the things that the positive things that you are doing that are still reducing cancer risk. So even if you can't control all of these exposures um, right now, it's important to keep in mind as you continue to dial everything in. Right, the whole idea is that this is a journey, and we it's okay to take steps. Um, but this is still something that I think is really worthwhile to have uh, on everyone's radar because it it the science is just really um, it's really damning evidence against a lot of these chemicals. Well, and I would say too, just like when we went paleo, you know, seven years ago or however long it was ago for a lot of you listeners, it was during a time period in which there weren't a lot of alternatives and options and things were, you know, homemade and and all that kind of stuff. And now we're at a place where there are so many wonderful, sustainable, um, earth-friendly, conscientious um so I think what is interesting is when you look at, you know, where we are today with uh, personal care products, there are starting to be a lot more options because this is starting to be on people's radar. And when you talk about a 60 plus page article from PubMed on the effects of these things directly attributed to environmental cancers, um, you need to start paying attention because that is a serious factor on your health. And it might not be as front of mind as some of the other lifestyle factors that are more obvious because it physically shows if you eat better or you work out or whatever, but it is so, so very important, which is something that I've been learning and becoming more passionate about because I'm like, Oh, there needs to be more education on this. I've, been doing the food thing. I think people get that at this point. So I'm, I'm really thankful that not only are we covering it, but that I don't want people to feel like there aren't options. Like, what am I going to do now? You know, like I, and I feel like sometimes you get to that point when you feel overwhelmed. So I'm glad that you addressed, um, the idea of not taking on too much, but also not feeling defeated, right? Like the goal of this podcast is to not have you feel like, you can't win because you can. And there are a lot of options, a lot of great brands, a lot of good um, alternatives to some of the the products that you're going to find. So before Sarah jumps into the science, what I would personally recommend is that you download the EWG's Skin Deep app. It's a free app. And you can scan via the camera on your phone and the barcode on your personal care products, um, you can scan and it will tell you the safety ratings and the ingredients in those um, in the personal care products that you're using. And so I have used that app in the store. It's like amazing. I've literally used that app, app and gone 
oh, this is a two. Really like to find a one or a zero, <laughs> you know. And I've I, and I've also you know done the, the uh, environmental working group also has great lists. So you can actually go on their lists and be like, I want a shampoo that's a zero. What you know? What are the you know clean you know, 100% clean shampoos, um, or I want a whatever it is, eyeshadow, that's a that's a zero. And you can actually go through the list and it'll give you brands. And they don't have every brand on there. And a lot of the brands that cater to the paleo community that use, you know, natural mineral, minerals and natural, you know, fats and plant extracts are not big enough companies to be indexed with Environmental Working Group. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll finish with our, our own personal recommendations. We have sort of different favorite products, so we'll give you a bunch of different ideas at the end of the show. But um, but I think it's, it's sort of import, important to keep in mind that just because something's not indexed with Environmental Working Group doesn't mean that it's automatically unsafe, but it also doesn't mean that it's automatically safe. Yeah, and I think... Just like my philosophy with real life paleo, where, you know, you remove kind of the the most offensive foods first, and then you make gradual changes and find yourself prioritizing nutrient dense foods and, and living a paleo lifestyle. Um, I would suggest the same approach with changing over the things in your life, whether it's, you know, drinking out of plastic or, um, eating less canned foods that are lined with BPA um, on the inside of the can. Not all of them are, but most brands are um, to your personal care products, right? So when you, when you look up these things in the EWG app, if some things I would say maybe like a three or under, I wouldn't prioritize worrying about that as much as I would. You're going to find like your hand soaps, and some some other things um, are going to be higher on the list in most cases, right? So I would focus Does the on scale the, go up to, do you know? 10. 10, okay. So um, I think, you know, for, for me, when I started changing things out, it was definitely the things that I used most often and the things that were highest rated that we switched out first. Um, and so I, you know, don't, don't get caught up in perfection. We've talked about this before, right? Like, just focus on what you can do and feel good about making those changes. So I say that to give you some hope and some light at the end of the tunnel, because it's going to get dark here. Um, (laughs) But just a reminder that this doesn't mean certain death, right? It's just, it means we, we really want to share how very important these things are to your health. And if you're ready to make that next step, or if you're trying to figure out what that is, you know, we, we think that this is a place to focus on that we haven't really dived into um, too deeply, especially on the science side. So now that we've built up all of this science, <laughs> I think we should dive into it. Everyone draw your curtains closed and make it dark in your rooms because um, we're about to go dark. Um, let's start just by saying, you know, one of the things, you know, this uh, particular paper that we're talking about, and we can put a link, to, it's an open access journal, we can put a link in the show notes so people can go, especially if we get into chemical names and you want to see how they're spelt, like I recommend just going and looking at this paper. Um, the way the paper is laid out is actually fairly user-friendly for a non-scientist as well. So it has, it starts with some methodology and then it's broken up into major sections. And at the end of every major section, it has a little section summary. And so, um, you know, if, if you're, 
um, you know, just looking for what are the chemical names, you can go find them in each section, and then you can read the section summaries and get a really good sense of, you know, where this, the science is at. Um, one of the reasons why this is such a relevant topic, though, is that uh, breast cancer incidence rates have been increasing dramatically. Um, not all cancers are going, cancer types of cancer have incidents that are going up. Some are actually going down, but cancer is one of the ones that is going up. And it's thought to be related to these environmental exposures. That's the reason. And, you know, what we know is that breast cancer seems to be a type of cancer that is a bit more sensitive to environmental exposures. So it's a bit easier to tease out these relationships. This particular paper really looked at all types of evidence. So it looked at human studies, it looked at, uh, you know, these broad sweeping epidemiological studies, but also um, perspective studies in humans, it looked at animal studies, it looked at cell culture studies. And one of the things about cancer research that's really important to understand is that um, animal studies and cell culture studies are incredibly informative because the a lot of the mechanisms of cell transformation are very, very well understood and it transcends um, like different animal types. So uh, like some types of, of studies we have to take with a pretty big grain of salt when they're done in animals. Um, cancer studies in terms of identifying carcinogens are not one of those sort of groups of, of studies in terms of identifying. We get a little bit like it, it's hard to necessarily pinpoint equivalent exposure sometimes in animals versus humans. So that part's a little bit, you know, that's where you like to see some more human data. Um, but in terms of the mechanisms of like how this chemical is causing cancer, that that just happens in mammalian cell types. So um, this is one of those fields in which animal studies and cell culture studies are incredibly informative. And it's, I think, really important to emphasize that when something increases risk of one type of cancer, right, it's increasing. Uh, one of the reasons is a lot of these chemicals interfere with um, endocrine pathways. So they're interfering with sex hormones, estrogen and progesterone. But it's also important to understand that this is a more sensitive system to detect something that is probably more broadly applicable. And a lot of the chemicals that are discussed in this paper uh, have been linked to other uh, chronic illnesses, other types of cancer. And we're not going to necessarily go into all of those links, but I just kind of wanted to emphasize, you know, just just in case, first of all, just in case you're a man and you think you're you know, you can't get breast cancer, men can. Um, but if you, you know, you don't, you're not particularly concerned about breast cancer for whatever reason, we're focusing on this because this is the system that helps us identify carcinogens. It's not necessarily that these are chemicals that only increase risk of breast cancer, they can increase risk of chronic disease. And breast cancer rates are really high right now. So uh, current estimates that is that some, somewhere a little over 40,000 women die every year from breast cancer and about um, sort of uh, four to 500 men will die every year from breast cancer. Um, estimates are that something like 230,000 women and two to 3,000 men are diagnosed with breast cancer every year. And that there are approximately three and a half million women in America right now who are currently living with a prior diagnosis of breast cancer. So this is 
uh, something that affects a lot of lives. And um, it, it really is um, it really is something sort of worthwhile digging into the science. So I wanted to start, you know, basically where the paper started, which is with hormones. Um, I think it's really important to understand that there are known links between um, sex hormones, estrogen and progesterone and breast cancer risk. And, um, you know, this is why in risk assessments, you'll see things like um, age of uh, menarche, right, when periods first started, um, menstruation or um, whether or not someone is postmenopausal, uh, age at first term pregnancy, uh, whether or not children are breastfed. I mean, all these things that are hormone driven can impact risk of breast cancer. Um, and also because there's many ways in which women uh, really intentionally manipulate our hormones, whether that is uh, hormonal therapy to mitigate symptoms of menopause or if that's hormonal birth control, um, those those things have been fairly conclusively linked to increased risk of breast cancer, especially the synthetic versions of these hormones or the semi-synthetic versions of these hormones. So, for example, the big study that um, was done a few years ago that was actually stopped early because the, the rates of breast cancer were so high in postmenopausal women who were taking uh, a, a double you know, synthetic version of progesterone called progestin and a uh, synthetic estrogen or a semi-synthetic estrogen called uh, ethanol estradiol, which was the standard at the time for managing symptoms of menopause, those women had such high risks of breast cancer that the study looking for the safety of this was actually stopped. And that's when um, hormone replacement therapy and postmenopausal women, this was, you know, 15 years ago now, stopped being the sort of standard course of, oh, you're having hot flashes? Here you go, right? That for a long time, that was just an automatic, oh, menopause, here's some hormones. Um, what's really interesting about some of that research is, and, and following research, is that it seems to be potentially, at least, with and especially with progesterone, um, an effect of it being a synthetic progesterone. So in studies that looked at bioidentical, which means chemically identical to the progesterone that you make, um, didn't show that increase. Uh, but estrogen, probably bioidentical estrogen, probably does still increase risk of breast cancer in postmenopausal women. And it is really important to emphasize here that there really is a paucity of data looking at bioidentical hormones and their uh, how they might influence risk of breast cancer. And they're used in a lot of different ways. So they're used in, for example, hormone balancing therapy, which I have gone through with a functional medicine specialist. So I understand that, you know, with all of these things, when you're talking about hormonal contraceptives, when you're, even when you're talking about hormone use for uh, menopause symptoms, these are conversations to have with your doctor to weigh the pros and cons and decide if it really is the best choice for you. Um, and that was something that I did and decided I wanted to do hormone balancing therapy with um, bioidentical hormones. But it is sort of important to emphasize that the data in terms of breast cancer risk is still it, 
early data indicates that uh, a lot of these things have a lot more to do with the synthetic versions of the hormones, but maybe not exclusively. So there's, there's just a need for more research in this regard. But of course, you know, hormonal contraceptives is not the only place that we get hormone exposure. And so there's this huge range of um, uh, chemicals, but also like direct hormones that are added to personal care products that are known to increase risk of breast cancer through the exact same pathways as uh, oral contraceptives, for example. And so the first one to highlight is uh, personal care products in which hormones are actually added. Uh, sometimes they're placental extracts. Sometimes they're uh, estrogens that are, are added. Sometimes they're phytoestrogens, so they're plant versions. Um, and they're added to products for two main reasons. So they're added to uh, hair products to promote growth and thickness of hair. Um, these are typically marketed at uh, ethnic minorities, for example, um, black women, but um, they're, you know, these are hair products that have estrogen and progesterone, estrogen and progesterone in them. And uh, this is known to be a risk factor for um, breast cancer. Um, and in fact, this was one of my favorite, my favorite, seven of eight extracts from skin and hair products commonly used by African-American women had effects on proliferation of cancer cells um, in culture. And four of the seven were estrogenic, while three showered, showed anti-estrogenic activity. So they're all manipulating estrogen in different ways. And they're all making cancer cells grow extra quickly in cell culture models, which is pretty scary. But that's not the only place where there's uh, hormones added to products. So hormones, especially estrogens, are regularly added to anti-aging creams because they can actually increase collagen production and skin hydration. So they're added to help, you know, create a more youthful appearance to skin, but um, they add to our exposure. So, you know, these, these hormones are absorbed through the skin and they add to our lifelong exposure to these hormones, which increases our lifelong cancer risk. So those are sort of like synthetic and natural hormones. Um, this, there's this whole separate side, and we've talked about it before, I think a little bit on this show, and certainly I've talked about it at my website and my books, but they're called, they're called endocrine disrupting compounds. Um, and these are any compounds that impact any hormone system in the body. And generally, most of the ones that I'm going to cover today are affecting estrogen, but some of them are affecting other hormones. And I kind of wanted to start with um, BPA and phthalates because of their ubiquitous use in plastics. And one of the things that I don't think we often think about is we might be looking for BPA line, uh, free plastic water bottles. We might look for BPA free, um, uh, cans of canned goods. Um, phthalates are a lot harder to avoid and, um, they're still found in a lot of BPA free plastics. And, <laughs> And they're, um, they're really – like our exposure has been really high of these um, chemicals over the last few decades because of their use in manufacturing, because of their use in creating plastics. And they are very strongly linked um, because they're estrogen um, – they – 
Okay, let's start with BPA because they actually don't affect estrogen the same. Um, BPA actually acts on estrogen-independent pathways, but through those pathways, it actually regulates hormonal responses in breast cancer cells. So, um, so it's a little bit different than BPA directly working on uh, estrogen pathways, but it's still impacting um, breast tissue through its uh, through hormonal effects, even though it's actually affecting how breast cancer cells react to hormones. Um, but we know that BPA is found in almost everybody's blood. It actually is cleared from our blood very, very quickly. Um, but one recent study that looked at 2,500 urine samples in a broad national sampling of adults found BPA present in 93% of their urine. So even though it's cleared relatively quickly, it's still so ubiquitous that most of us have it in our urine. And there's been um, a wide range of studies linking, for example, early BPA exposure to uh, abnormality, abnormalities in mammary tissue development um, that are observable throughout gestation, maintained into early adulthood. Um, there have been some, and of course, early mammary development is strongly linked to uh, breast cancer. So there have been some, some really strong links that way. Um, but also exposure of both normal and cancerous human breast cells to very even low levels of BPA, like what we would get exposed to just by having some kind of plastics in our life, which we all do, whether we drink out of plastic water bottles or not, um, has actually been shown in these cells to alter expression of hundreds of genes, including many that are involved in hormone receptor-mediated processes, cell proliferation, which means how quickly cells divide, apoptosis, which means programmed cell death and is important for uh, reducing uh, cancer, and carcinogenesis, which means the the development of cancer. Um, even worse, I think, for BPA is that being exposed to BPA um, reduces the efficacy of common chemotherapy drugs. So um, BPA not only promotes development of breast cancer, but it actually reduces the efficacy of current um, chemotherapy treatments for breast cancer. So phthalates are more direct endocrine disruptors, so they um, directly interfere, they directly um, affect estrogen and other androgen hormone systems. Um, they actually act as estrogens. So that is their dominant pathway into increasing breast cancer risk. Um, we know that phthalates can enter the body by being absorbed in the skin, uh, by inhalation. Um, they, uh, and obviously, you know, we're getting it in food packaging so we can consume it. Um, some of our dominant ex uh, exposures is through um, skin, you know, creams that might be stored, like plastics that are st storing our creams that we're putting on our bodies, uh, food packaging and fast food are our dominant sources. But also there's a lot of things like wines and liquors and spices that are contaminated with phthalates from leakage of, of the chemicals into the storage containers. So we know that this is when you store foods and beverages in plastics that contain phthalates that it 
leaches into the food. Um, the longer something is stored, the more it can get in there. There was one study that looked at um, women with and without breast cancer and what percentage of the women had phthalates measurable um, in their urine. And 82% of the women just did across the board. So there wasn't actually a difference between how many women who had cancer had phthalates in their blood versus those who didn't, except that there's a tremendous amount of studies done in animals and in cell culture systems that conclusively and mechanistically link phthalates to breast cancer development. So those are dominant in plastics. And I think they're on a lot of our radars in terms of, um, you know, which plastics we're using for for water containers. I really like the healthy human water bottles, their stainless steel and their travel mugs. And I noticed, Stacey, that you have some of those in your house. Um, but this is one of the reasons why, you know, switching more to glass and stainless steel can be really, really helpful in food storage, in uh, water bottles, in, you know, everywhere that we possibly can. Do you have any particular tips on that? No, I remember when you were here and I think you saw a healthy human cups and you hadn't seen them before, um, which are like stainless steel cups. And um, we like had a conversation about how much we really like that brand. Up until I learned about this stuff, we were using like Ikea plastic plates and cups. And I like cringed when I realized that I'd been serving my babies whose bodies are more susceptible because it's a higher uh Per concentration of these hormone disrupting chemicals going into their bodies. So a lot of the research that I've read, I know we're focusing on cancer and, and adults, but it's also important to consider that not only are children's hormones in flux from natural growing up um, and puberty and all that kind of stuff, but their bodies are smaller. So if they're eating, you know, off of or out of plastic containers and exposed to those kinds of things, it's actually going to hit their bodies even harder. So um, I would just definitely, it was, you know, like one of some of the things that we focused on and, um, and getting some of that stuff out. And I would say too, you know, a lot of the uh, food storage containers, lunch boxes and that kind of stuff that we were using were BPA free plastic. But as you noted, BPA is not the only chemical in plastic that's a problem. And so moving to stainless steel lunch boxes, um, well, lunch boxes, great call. Yeah. It was, was really important for us because we, we had been using, um, a brand that was BPA free plastic, but then I realized that there was more in the plastic that I was concerned about. So, um, the boys actually take like l like lunch boxes, but um, Wesley uses like a stainless steel one. So one of the other things that I want to sort of add to your point about kids being really sensitive, a lot of the um, lifelong risks of breast cancer with exposures is higher if the exposure happens when we're children. So one of the things that happens with say BPA and phthalates is e exposure and there's like exposure, it actually crosses the placental barrier. So uh, if there's exposure during gestation that increases risk of, of lifelong exposure or exposure in infancy, it also increases risk of things like uh, early puberty, which itself then increases risk of, of later breast cancer. So it, it really is also important not just to think of our own personal exposures, but also the exposure of our children without letting this turn into mom guilt, guys, because we all know how quickly 
Ah, oh, I wish I'd known about that. Think Listen, of all the mistakes I made. I hear you. Listen, ladies and dads, like I, Cole like exclusively had soy milk when he was growing up and we microwaved in plastic containers all the time, right? Like even I think back to my breast milk being stored in those plastic bags oh, that were yeah, then I did that too. like warmed up, right? I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, but I can't do anything about it. It's in the past. All we can do now, like I said, we're going to a dark place, but all we can do now <laughs> is do better that we know better. You know, just do, I think if there's like a Maya Angelou quote, it's like, do the best that you can until you learn more and then do better, right? It's like, this is all you can do. You can't beat yourself up for something that you had no idea was a problem, so... That's a good quote. All right, let's talk about parabens. Parabens uh, are a group of compounds. And parabens first came on my radar when I started. I was having a lot of problems with allergic reactions to shampoos. And somebody in like a natural health food store in Tucson, when I lived in Tucson, Arizona said, oh, well, you should get a paraben-free one and, and helped me find a bottle of some, you know, better but not awesome um, shampoo. And... Uh, they are um, extremely common in terms of our exposure. They're absorbed through skin and through the gastrointestinal tract. And um, they are found as – because they have uses as antimicrobials. So they're found as preservatives in food. They're found as preservatives in pharma- pharmaceuticals. And they're found as preservatives in cosmetics and personal care products. And um, really – nearly all of us have measurable parabens in our blood. So um, there's been studies that have looked at how many people have measurable parabens and it's like close to 100%. It's, it's pretty intense. Um, and parabens seem to sequester in breast cancer tissue, which is pretty damning evidence of a link. Um, there was one study that looked at biopsy samples from breast tumors and found measurable concentrations of six different parabens. Um and the concentrations in breast cancer tissue closely paralleled the use in the synthetic cosmetic products of the people being biopsied. So there seems to be a direct link between using cosmetic and personal care products and parabens sequestering in breast, in breast cancer tissue. They act as weak estrogen mimickers and studies that have put parabens like on um, just regular human breast cells in cell culture studies in, it induces the transformation into cancerous cells. So you can put parabens on healthy, normal breast, can- breast cells and they turn into breast cancer cells. So that's uh, pretty bad. So parabens are definitely one to avoid. Here's a fun chemical that I hope I'm pronouncing correctly. Um, alkyl phenols, probably not, but that's where I'm going with that. Um, they are used in a lot of cleaning products, detergents. Um, they are also found in personal care products, especially hair products. Um, and fun fact, they are an active component in many spermicides. So there's another potential source of exposure. Um, in a study that looked at samples of house air and dust found 80% positive uh, for alkyl phenols and um, somewhere between 50 and 60% of people have measurable levels in their urine. So it's uh, definitely a common exposure. And in cell culture studies, it has been shown to 
affect genes that are related to uh, breast cancer. And in animal studies, it's also been shown to increase risk of breast cancer. Uh, triclosan and triclocarbon are similar. So they're sort of antimicrobial agents. So they're used in a, in a wide range of personal care and household and industrial products. And not only do they impact uh, estrogen, but they also impact thyroid hormones. So they can actually suppress uh, T4, which uh, is like a double whammy for all of our Hashimoto's listeners out there. And we know there's a lot of you because Hashimoto's is the most common autoimmune disease. So um, we know that it's, again, it's easily absorbed. It's absorbed through skin. It's absorbed through uh, the GI tract. Approximately 75% of us have uh, triclosan in our blood, <laughs> which is pretty terrible. Um, and we know that it, at least in cell culture studies, is causing um, – signaling cascades. So it's causing things to be expressed that increase risk of cancer. Now, here's one that was new to me, which is hormonally active chemicals found in sunscreen. Uh, I did not realize how many of the different chemicals that are actually the active agents in sunscreens are actually estrogen mimics. Uh, here's a fun quote. Of six common sunscreen chemicals, five of them exerted a significant estrogenic activity as measured by increased proliferation rates of human breast cancer cells grown in vitro, which means five out of six common sunscreen chemicals can drive breast cancer growth. Did you know? Did you know it was that many? Uh, so I did. I actually did a newsletter about this once. I don't know if it's on the blog because people are so focused on wearing sunscreen to avoid skin cancer, but they're actually putting chemicals in their body that are directly linked to giving them other kinds of cancers. So um, in in the in the uh, opportunity of telling you that we are a very fair haired family. And that uh, sun protection is key. The one thing that I have learned is to use um, sunscreen with natural zinc in it. And if you find sunscreen that goes above like a 25 or 30, it's it's got to be synthetic and it's got these chemicals in it. So like Sarah said, we can talk about what some of the things that we use and our recommendations are. But those are the factors that I kind of learned um, from going through different brands on EWG and, and all that kind of stuff. And again, they have one of those like top 10 recommendation lists of um, ones that are safe. Um, yeah. So I, I'm going to read the, the, the names of these chemicals, even though I'm probably not going to necessarily pronounce them correctly, just so that people know what chemicals to look for on sunscreens. But I do want to sort of say before I read those that what we do in our family is we moderate sun exposure. So we very, very rarely use any kind of sunscreen. And we do things like wear hats and put on clothes and go inside. And we build up a base tan slowly at the beginning of the summer, trying not to get sunburnt because getting sunburnt is also bad. Um, and then by the end of the summer, usually we can spend a whole day outside without getting burnt. Um, but that's uh, that that's been none of us like the feeling of sunscreen on. So that became, that was something that I've been doing long before paleo just because, um, none of us like sunscreen. So that was a, that was a accidental yay. Um, but these are the chemicals three, four methyl benzylidine camphor, 
which is sometimes abbreviated for MBC. Octal methoxenamate, or OMC. Octal dimethylpaba, or ODPABA. Benzophenone 3, or BP3 and homosalate, or HMS. So those are the specifically the chemicals that were identified as being very common sunscreen ingredients that um, are uh, estrogen um, disruptors, as they act as estrogen mimics. And there is some animal studies to also conclusively link at least one of those chemicals to increased risk of breast cancer. So there really are a ton of compounds. I mean, this, this paper then goes into uh, pesticides and environmental pollutants and uh, phytoestrogens like food estrogens, mycoestrogens, and, and presents all of the research. Um, we really wanted to focus in on sort of the personal care product side. But one of the things that we talked about at the top of the show was that there are a bunch of chemicals that maybe aren't necessarily directly linked to breast cancer, but maybe linked to other forms of cancer or other um, health detriments. And I have an article on my website that summarizes some of these and also a discussion in Paleo Principles that that summarizes a lot of these. But I thought it was sort of important to at least go through them a little bit quickly because I know um, this is, we're, we're running out of time, uh, but just as some other things to look for, and these are all chemicals that are highlighted by the environmental working group as being problematic. So, you know, keeping an, you know, using the skin deep app and really keeping an eye on, on the presence of these chemicals is going to be really helpful. Um, but one is formaldehyde. I mean, people are not surprised that formaldehyde is a problem, um, but it is a carcinogen and it also is a skin, eye and lung irritant. And it is found in um, mascara and eyeshadow, nail polish in shampoos and hair straighteners and blush. So it's actually pretty commonly found um, either as formaldehyde itself or formaldehyde releasing preservatives, which are called FRPs. Uh, benzene is a carcinogen uh, and also an, uh, an estrogen mimicker, and it's used to produce plastics and detergents, but it's also found in hair conditioners and some styling products. Um, perchloroethylene is a neurotoxin and a possible carcinogen. It is found in uh, things like spot removers, upholstery and carpet cleaners, dry cleaning solutions. So maybe not personal care products, but something also to keep in mind. Uh, Untreated or mildly treated mineral oils, um, they're produced by crude oil or from crude oil, and they can act as carcinogens while also being an irritant to the skin, eye, and lung. Side note, I actually just did a post on... Mineral oil slash petroleum, if people want to check that out. Sweet. Um, they are found in a variety of personal care products like lip gloss, lipstick, hair color, hair bleach, facial treatments, blush, concealer, moisturizer, eyeshadow, and styling gel. They can be listed as um, heavy mineral oil mist, paraffin oil mist, and white mineral oil mist on the labels. So look for those. 
Coal tar is a carcinogenic byproduct of coal processing. I used to use a uh, coal-based shampoo for dandruff, so this this just this just freaks me out. Um, it's typically associated with lung cancer, digestive tract cancer, kidney cancer, and bladder cancer, so not necessarily breast cancer. Um, it's found in dandruff treatments, rosacea treatments, and some shampoos and hair dyes. Crystalline silica. Uh, which can be listed as cristobalite, quartz, uh, tritomite, or tripoly on the ingredients labels, is a carcinogen with its strongest links is with lung cancer, um, but it's also a lung, eye, and skin irritant. It's found in lipsticks, lip glosses, eyeshadows, eyeliners, foundations, sunscreens, lotions, and shampoos. I do have a list in front of me if everyone's wondering if I have this information off the top of my head. I don't. Uh, talc. It's also called talcum powder. This is one of those crazy ones because this is what like baby powder is. And you think of baby products as being like, obviously, they have to be the safest things. Uh, but it um, has been banned by the European Union for use in cosmetic products because it sometimes contains asbestos. <laughs> and it has been linked to ovarian cancer, gynecological tumors, and mesothelioma. Um. To be fair, on all of these products that you've been listing last, there are caveats that I want to make sure that we point out, which is that it's if it's cross-contaminated with asbestos, which most, especially the cheap products that you're going to find, for example, there was an article that came out about the Justice makeup as having been contaminated with asbestos. This is exactly where that came from. But there are sources of clean ingredients of some of these things that you're listing, not the hormone disrupting oh, chemicals. Pretty but. much pretty much just talc so far. Okay. I just was, talc. I was thinking maybe the mineral oils, but um I'm not as exactly familiar with them as I am with the I think talc. There's but. other oils that are generally labeled as mineral oil that are not produced from crude oil and I yeah. think that's where it gets yeah, confusing. Exactly. So that's why I just wanted to say with those two things not all the other stuff. <laughs> those, yeah. those two ones, there is kind of like a little asterisk um, in in quality if it's, you know, regulated. And I think that's kind of where we got to get to next. Oh, yes. Thanks for the reminder for our, our final discussion point. Okay, <laughs> so I'm going to go through this quickly. So MIT and MCIT are common preservatives uh, with neurotoxic effects. They are found in some brands of shampoo, including baby shampoo, conditioner, hair color, hairspray, shaving cream, mascara, makeup remover, lotion, and sunscreen. Uh, acrylates, which include ethyl acrylate, ethyl methacrylate, and methyl methamacrylate, uh, have the potential to be uh, carcinogens, but also cause reproductive and organ system toxicity and neurological damage, as well as being an irritant, and they're commonly found in cosmetic artificial nails. The list goes on. Uh, let's end with uh, ethanolamines. Uh, which includes uh, DEA and anything with DEA in the name, uh, but also TEA and anything with TEA in the name and MEA in the name. Uh, it's linked to liver tumors, or organ system toxicity. It's been banned by the European Commission, but it's still found in the U.S. in soap, hair dye, shampoo, conditioner, shaving cream, makeup of all kinds, fragrance, so anything that's scented, household cleaning products, waxes, lotions, and sunscreens. Um, and so there's, and there's, there's more, I mean, this is just like a, a survey 
podcast of all of the things that we're getting exposed to, but this is also probably like the worst offenders. Um, my question for you, Stacy, is given, you know, there's something like 1500 chemicals that have been banned um, either for use in cosmetics or personal care products of any kind or cleaning products it, by the uh, European Union. Yeah, it's about 1400. 1400 that are still considered A-OK in uh, the U.S. of A. All, uh, all, all uh, but 38. So it used to be 11, but they just woo, recently added a few more to the list. Yeah. More than tripled the number. Yeah, it's amazing, right? So it sounds impressive. Like we went from 11 to 38 being banned, but then when you're like, but... 1400 are banned in the European Union and I think there's like about half as many of that in Canada um so yeah you had a question I interrupted why you. my question is why <laughs> I don't why know on okay, so earth do Europeans America. recognize these things as being unsafe and just ban them from their like stores and we're exposed to it without any kind no warnings on the labels like nothing there's just unless you're in california yeah so california is actually california yeah california is pretty great not only do they have labels on all this stuff already but just recently like in the last couple of weeks they just passed legislation to require that cleaning products disclose all of their ingredients like so currently the regulation is such that not only is it not regulated, but you won't even know what's in most of your products because they can utilize um, the categories such as fragrance, which are claimed to be uh, proprietary confidential information that they don't want to share with competitors. And so they can claim that a lot of the things, um, what you're mentioning or whatever, fall under the fragrance category. So there are things um, that almost inherently if there's quote unquote fragrance on a product, like we won't use it in our house anymore because the petrochemicals are almost uh, always directly linked to cancer and hormone disruption. So for me, that's a huge red flag and we don't use fragrance at all because it falls under this like complete lack of regulation umbrella. So let me just read to you from the FDA regulation of cosmetics and personal care products summary page. So I'm not going to get into the 43 page document. That's like the report for Congress, but it summarizes in the beginning. It says FDA's authority over cosmetics is less comprehensive than its authority over other FDA regulated products with regard to registration, testing, pre-market notification, clearance, or approval. Good manufacturing processes, mandatory risk labeling, adverse event report, and recalls. For example, FDA does not impose registration requirements on cosmetic manufacturers. Rather, cosmetic manufacturers may decide to comply with voluntary FDA regulations on, re- on registration. So, like, they, they literally straight up tell you they have no control. They can't do anything. And when you think about the FDA being the same people who raid raw dairy farms, and here you're talking about things that the... NIH PubMed article is telling you is causing cancer. Um, so I do have like a full um, blog post on FDA reg- regulation. You have to go back to like the second page because um, this is something that I did in October for Cancer Awareness Month. But I break down kind of why the FDA doesn't have any authority. And it pretty much goes into the law hasn't been changed since 1938. And in 1938, 
it was a completely different environment. Like people weren't spending how much money they are now on personal care products. And the amount of problematic ingredients weren't what they were. Now, there was still some disturbing amount of like tar and hair care products and things that they got away with back then. But for the most part, um, the regulation is written in such a way that kind of allows free market, right? Like they're trying to encourage that. And the the law just hasn't been changed. So part of what my article on this regulation piece is about is also talking about if you want safer and you want to get involved on the political side and you would like more regulation. For me, I would like those 1,400 harmful substances banned in the European European Union and are supported by science as being problematic for our health, I would like those also banned here in America. So um, there's like a political outreach kind of thing. You can text, you can call senators, whatever, if that's something that that you're moved to do. Um, And I talk about that in the post. But I think for the most part, it's just important to realize one of the things that kind of blew my mind when I was going through this regulation is that because it's completely unregulated, A company can claim on the label that something is paraben-free or that something is natural or that something is non-toxic, and there's literally nothing that anybody can do. They can lie. They can straight up say anything they want to say on the label, and because there is no regulation, there is nobody that's going to come and tell them to take away that paraben-free label. So it doesn't mean that it's been tested. It doesn't mean that it's safe. So that is why... I rely so much on research and I rely on the EWG app. And I know, Sarah, that there are products in small companies that don't um, have the infrastructure to test for things like heavy metals in eye color products or that don't have um, the abilities to put everything through a full test for paraben-free. But it also, to me, is really important because it goes back to as much as how your ingredients are sourced. One of the things that I learned this summer is that the the brand that I choose to use and, and love, I went on a, um, I don't want to say an excursion, but it was an excursion <laughs> to like a garden. And I learned about all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that I learned is that they traced BPA that was ending up in their beauty counter products and they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And they traced it back to the bags that the rose petals were collected in on a farm. And wow. it was showing up in the huge testing that Beauty Counter does. They they use a third-party university to test every single ingredient and every single product for hormone disruptors and heavy metals. And if it hadn't gone through that testing, they never would have known that there was BPA in it because they would have just thought like, hey, it's a rose petal. It's totally fine. So I think it is, you know, like, is that the degree to which it is important to all of you? Probably not, right? But to me, it's something I've become really passionate about and it's something that is important. And so I like to know every single ingredient and has it been tested and is it safe? Is the label that someone is claiming actually true? Has that been tested? So that's my personal kind of approach to how I utilize um, hygiene products. Um, is it perfect? No. Matt still uses like regular toothpaste. <laughs> and I've gotten him off of like Irish Spring uh, soap, which was like the bane of my existence. And I can't even stand that it was in the house for as long as it was. Um, but nobody's perfect. And it's still, you know, it's a transition. And it, I think it's, it all starts with education and having this information to make more educated choices is the kind of 
best way forward, I think, right? You got to know what your battle is in order to fight it properly. So I want to give do just a quick rapid fire, like favorite brands, because um, we're like really running over. But I do want to, before we do that, mention that the Environmental Working Group's app's name has changed. It's not the Skin Deep app now. It's called the Healthy Living app because oh. it includes uh, foods in addition to other types of household products. Well, excellent. So I just wanted to make sure that people knew that. Um, and so... Why don't you go with your favorite products and then I'll go with my favorite products. Sure. So I'll just say the products that I'm using that are not Beauty Kenner. That's an easier list. <laughs> so like everything <laughs> well, that my family... Well, because you, you do really like Beauty Counter. I so. do. Everything that my family uses at this point is Beauty Counter, except um, let's do toothpaste. So I like both Sparkle charcoal toothpaste they have a whitening powder that's really fantastic and then i also like um that brand that i can never remember that uses redmond salt and is clay based um i can look it up in a minute um, um what's your toothpaste i use primal life organics tooth powder yeah i i mean i used primal life organics tooth powder i liked it i didn't have a problem with it except i just kind of got over powder and i i wanted a um paste you know gotten so used to it that it just seems so normal to me now and they've got um she's got great flavors now that the kids like as well she's got like a bubblegum flavor so Mm. she finally has flavors that the kids will because at the first you know like they never liked the mint or the orange or the cinnamon but um she's now got some kid-friendly flavors which is really cool what about Um, deodorant that's the one i get asked about all the time i use zach deodorant zach deodorant made me break out like a crazy woman But honestly, everything makes me break out like a crazy woman. So I have actually been deodorant free for like six months. And this is the first time I'm saying it out loud. And I hope that I'm not like leaving a trail of stench behind me everywhere (laughs) I go. Um, And granted, I started right kind of after the summer ended. Um, So I'm hoping that by spring, my body will have kind of like regulated itself. But I think part of being able to do that is because I got rid of so many other personal care products that were creating some toxicity in my body. And so now I don't kind of have that stink anymore when, for the most part, obviously, Um, if I'm doing something strenuous or if I'm feeling like, oh, I really need to make sure that I don't smell today, maybe like once a month, honestly, I would use something. But um, I've I've just gone deodorant free because I couldn't find a safe brand that worked for me that it was my skin is so sensitive. Yeah. So to be fair, I do forget to put on deodorant <laughs> very often. Um, but I do, when I do remember, I use Zach. Um, do you use Beauty Counter shampoos and conditioners? Is that I, what you're using? I, I do. I just recently switched. I didn't like their shampoos and conditioners before, but they came out with like a, what do they call it? Salon quality color safe um, line. And I've been using those and I've been happy with them. So I have been using Morocco Methods International, you know, shampoos, conditioners, styling products for like five years. And yeah. I just love them. My hair <laughs> loves them. For as long as I've known you, I think. Yeah. And I, every time I try something else, I end up co- coming back to Morocco Methods because um, I it just, I, my hair loves it. My scalp loves it. Um, but my kids, um, I have using Attitude brand, which is an EWG zero, um, shampoo and conditioner just because for them washing their own hair with mud, they're having a really hard time with the like getting it into their hair. And it was just easier to give them something with a little bit of natural lather that could spread through their hair a little bit. And because I'm trying to 
I'm trying to develop autonomy. And um, they were like washing their hair me out of house and home. I don't know how that sentence works, but it was getting it was getting really expensive really quickly. And so the attitude um, brand has worked really well for them. Um, makeup wise, I know you use beauty counter. I use a Raza, um, which is super, it's actually completely paleo ingredients. Um, and it wears super well. I'm super impressed with the quality and I've just loved everything about it, except that they don't do mascara. And so I still use, uh, Tarte Amazonian clay based mascara, which you turned me on to years and years and years ago. And it is higher. It's a number three on the EWG app. It was, it was really hard for me to get off of that. Actually, I like just this year, Beauty Counter came out with a volumizing mascara that I feel like is finally up to the Tarte standards. Um, yeah, mascara is kind of my jam. (laughs) I'm kind of a little obsessed. Um, but I do use Tarte primer. I use something called uh, Lash Enhancing Primer, which is actually a one on EWG. Um, and you have to get it on eBay now because they no longer sell it. And I have like a hoarded stash in my house. Um, and I'm hoping that they come back. But I, I really think that the lash primer makes a big difference on the health of lashes, personally. Um... How about anti-aging products? Because, I mean, everybody knows I'm using Beauty Counter, but what are you using for kind of uh, moisturization, hydration? Like, because we talked about how the anti-aging properties are so problematic in uh, skincare. Have you found something that you like? So for, um, like, body care, um, I really like uh, Buffalo Gals, various tallow balms. I really like just a a tallow and emu balm that is really nice, and my skin just loves it. Um, In terms of facial products, I kind of use this mix of Primal Primal Life Organics and some Buffalo Gal, but I'm also using products that are created by – my medical esthetician here in Atlanta that aren't actually haven't actually been released yet. She's still developing her lines, but she's basically has this supernatural approach to skincare, but has, um, she gets, she has these very, very complex formulas of, um, plant extracts and, my skin just loves them so, so much. And so it's one of those things that like I can tell people what I use, but they can't actually buy it unless they happen to live in Atlanta. And then I can give them Carmen's number and they can go find, they can go get them from her. Um, but I have sort of promised to help her when she's ready to launch uh, shipping because I've been using her products for like three years and um, it, it's made a noticeable improvement in my skin. So, um, so, and then I, I sprinkle in like some CX serum from Primal Life Organics and I still really love, uh, Buffalo Gals. Um, she has a, a toner that's witch hazel and kombucha extract, which is absolutely wonderful. And then I really love, uh, Buffalo Gals. She's got a, a deep cleansing, um, Buffalo tallow. For, it's like a hot oil cleanse, which I like to do about once a week just cause it's, it just feels really pampering. And then um, I actually use the Morocco Methods. They've got a, a, a hair and scalp mask that actually works really, really well as a clay mask for face too. So 
Um, it's, you know, it's like clay. I just totally cringed when you said that. I'm a little concerned. Yeah. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Um, I, I do love me a face mask. Um, okay. But we need to wrap up. So I think we've made it clear that there are a lot of different brands and options out there. I still think I highly recommend you look at what you have in your house. Use the app, the EWG app, whatever it's called. Um, it's free. And it's an amazing resource when you're going around your home to see, you know, what would be the best thing to eliminate first or when you're looking at buying new things, you know, at the store or online. Um, it's a great place to to start when you're looking at uh, better ingredients. So I hope that this was helpful. I know it was a lot of information and a longer show than uh, we've been doing lately, but I know that it's also um, something that people have been asking about. And Sarah, thank you for taking the time to do all the research to help us understand how really important it is and how much the science supports these things affecting our health. Yeah, I I literally messaged Stacey. It's like, it's time to record. My brain is full. Before the show started, I don't even know if you saw that message, but um, I did. You know, I um, I love the challenge, um, but yeah. <laughs> Phew! I'm glad that one's over, and I'm glad that one had like a conclusion, unlike some other shows that we did recently, <laughs> in which conclusions were impossible to make. Yes. Well. That was also a helpful show I heard from many people. So. <laughs> I heard that too. Awesome. Well, thank you for tuning in and we'll be back again next week. And if the show was helpful, please share it with loved ones or friends. Um, if you feel like it explains why you're putting coconut oil on your skin to your family and friends, <laughs> um, but also to help them educate themselves. Um, and we appreciate your reviews and your comments and your feedback about the shows. It helps us prepare better shows for you next time. So thanks again for tuning in and we look forward to hearing from you. Daily Review. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Sorry, Matt, there's no outline for this. There's just the 61-page paper that Stacy sent me and said, let's do a show based on this 61-page, super small font, incredibly dense review article that's, you know, it's not a lot of information at all. It's fine. It's not like I sent it to you five minutes before the show. No, I've been reading it since 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> all right, let's start. Oh, okay. There's more chemical names. It's fine. So many cut points, Matt. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just they're really long words. There's such there's such. I mean, long I think words. it's okay to abbreviate. Like you said, you were gonna put them in the okay. show notes. Right. It doesn't do anybody any good if you're like butchering little, words little, 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 little. as you say them. I know, but it's just I want to be able to say them. That's all. Okay. We are Allie and Erica, Certified Integrative Nutrition Health Coaches in Gut and Hormone Health and the hosts of the podcast, Courageous Wellness. We are committed to destigmatizing conversations in the wellness space and celebrate the experiences and lessons of our guests in pursuit of physical, emotional, and spiritual wellness. Listen to Courageous Wellness wherever you get your podcasts with fresh episodes every Wednesday.